Does truth exist? Because you have faith, does that make this book true? Does God exist? So when someone says there is no truth, if you apply the claim to itself, what should you say? Is that true? They don't think Christianity is true. They're talked out of it. You know why they're talked out of it? Because they've never been talked into it. Cross-examining skeptical and atheistic views. Welcome to Cross-Examine with Dr. Frank Turek. Ladies and gentlemen, what is the logic behind hate crimes legislation, hate crimes laws? I mean, is it more serious if you beat up one person rather than another person? What is the logic behind the transgender movement? How is it contradicting the so-called gay rights movement? What is the evidence for objective morality or objective moral duties? Is water baptism necessary for salvation? Are Christians obligated to obey the Sabbath? These are some of the issues that uh, you've emailed me. Actually, the hate crimes and the transgender issue uh, are, is just in the news. So I want to touch on that before we get to some of the questions you've emailed me at hello at crossexamine.org. Hello at crossexamine.org. I want to thank my friend Jay Warner Wallace, the great Jay Warner Wallace, Jim Wallace, who filled in last week for me because I had no voice and it's not totally back yet. In fact, last uh, week I was out in Flagstaff, Arizona and uh, doing uh, a church there and then the university there, uh, Northern Arizona University. And a great young lady by the name of Indy Salter put it on. She was the one that actually organized the entire thing. And right in the middle of the first night I was there, my voice started to go. And by the second day, I had virtually no voice. Thankfully, her father, a gentleman by the name of Ken Taplin, who is a musician and a voice uh, coach, he's got 40 albums to his name. He helped me. Uh, at least use the voice that I had to get through that session there at Northern Arizona University. You can see all this on our website and also on our Facebook page. You want to go back and watch the the audio. We had a great audience, or the audio on the video, a great audience, and we had some great questions, but I sounded like I was a cross between the Godfather and a demon. <laughs> I mean, I barely had a voice, so Ken kind of helped me through it. Ken Tamplin, by the way, is an amazing musician, and he was actually asked to take over for Steve Perry in Journey. Uh, for those of you that know like 70s and 80s rock, you know that Steve Perry could sing and, uh, and Ken can sing as well. But he just had some young children and he said, I can't be on the road that much. So he actually turned the Journey gig down. Anyway, thanks to Ken, he helped me through that. And um, then I had a weekend last weekend in Maryland where I spoke uh, at my friend uh, Steve Schrader's church, uh, Mount Airy Bible Church. Great church there just north of... Uh, of uh, the the cat nation's capital a little bit west of baltimore and uh, so i did, <laughs> did about six hours there with no voice so uh i think that's online too you can you can see that if you if, if you want to hear what it sounds like to have absolutely no voice and try and do apologetics but anyway uh i'm i'm 90 of the way back so uh, here we are uh let's talk a little bit about and oh by the way before i forget um Today, this afternoon, I'm in Waco. If you're listening to this on Saturday, I'm in Waco, Texas, uh, speaking at the uh, an apologetics conference there. All the details are on our website. Then next week, uh, this coming Thursday, I'll be at Edison State Community College. That's in uh, near I think it's near Pequa, Ohio, 
Edison State Community College on Thursday night. That'll be live streamed as well. If our live streaming equipment works, normally it does. Uh, and then the next day, I'm, I'm going to spend doing two sessions in a prison there. And you can't get in there to see that, folks. And it won't be live streamed, but uh, that's what I'll be doing Friday. And then uh, Wednesday night, March 6th, I'll be at, down at Calvary Chapel in Lexington, South Carolina. It's actually Calvary Chapel, Columbia, South Carolina. Uh, and then the following night, I'll be, that's March 7th, I'll be at USC, the real USC, the University of South Carolina. All of my sons went to USC, all three of them. They're all Gamecocks. Yes, the real USC is the University of South Carolina because South Carolina was a university before California was even a state, okay? So somehow people think USC is the University of Southern California. No, it's the University of South Carolina. Anyway, I was there many years ago speaking on legislating morality. On March 7th, I'll speak on, uh, I don't have enough faith to be an atheist, there at the University of South Carolina. Then Monday, March 18th, University of Memphis, UT Dallas. March 28th, UT Arlington, March 29th at noon, doing a special noon event there. And then Rethink, our friends at, at Stand to Reason are putting the Rethink Conference together down there at Cottonwood Creek, great church down there, just in Allen, Texas, just north of Dallas. Cottonwood, Cottonwood Creek uh, Baptist Church uh, is where we're having Rethink. Friday night, Saturday, all day uh, for Rethink. And then I'll be speaking at the Sunday morning services at Cottonwood Creek on what day would that be? 29th, 30th? I guess March 31st is what that date is. So check all that out. That's coming up here. Uh, and hopefully, if you're anywhere near those places, I'd, I'd love to have you attend. Or you can watch any of that if it's live streamed. And the uh, college events are live streamed, by the way. All right, let's go back to this hate crime situation going on with this gentleman, Jesse Smollett. I don't need to go into the details. It's all over the news. I just want to talk about... Hate, hate crimes legislation in general, hate crimes laws in general. Uh, you, you know, the whole thing is a hoax, right? This guy tried to say that, you know, he was uh, accosted by uh, some Trump supporters who wanted to hang him and, and all this. Turns out he staged the whole thing and staged a previous uh, incident as well uh, to try and get more money in his TV series called The Empire or something like that. Anyway, it, it, the whole thing is staged. But let's leave that aside for a second. Why do advocates of hate crime legislation ignore the fact that all crimes are hate crimes? I mean, there certainly are no love crimes, right? I mean, when you commit a crime against somebody, you might as well just call it hate. And why do they ignore the fact that all people, including homosexuals, blacks, whites, Muslims, Jews, and other religious people are already protected equally under existing criminal law. It seems to me that hate crimes legislation is about imposing political correctness, not punishing crime fairly. All crimes are hate crimes. All crimes uh, are, are, should be punished. And I mean, why, why would we advocate giving a stiffer punishment to a thug who, say, beats up a homosexual, a Muslim, a black person, or some other minority? Why, would, why should we advocate that that person gets a stiffer punishment if he does one of those crimes than if he, say, beats up your grandmother? Both crimes are terrible. All those crimes are equally terrible, and all the victims are equally human. So the perpetrator should be punished equally. In fact, it seems to me that Hate crime legislation actually results in unequal protection. Minority groups get more protection than others. So I, I, I just don't see the logic of hate crimes 
uh, laws or hate crimes legislation. The law should protect everyone equally and treat everyone equally because we're all made in the image of God, not because we have certain sexual preferences or we want to engage in certain sexual behaviors or because we have a different ethnicity than other people. Everybody should be protected equally when they're assaulted or when someone commits a crime against them. People are equal, but their behaviors are not. In fact, all laws discriminate against behaviors. Discrimination is a good thing when it comes to discriminating against behaviors. That's what laws do. They say you don't beat people up, regardless of, 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 what, of how they identify themselves. The reason you don't beat them up is not because they're homosexual or heterosexual or they're Muslim or Christian or Jew or, or, uh, or whatever. You don't beat them up because they're made in the image of God. You don't commit crimes against them because they're human beings that you ought to respect, not because of their behaviors or their preferences or their ethnicity. You ought to respect them because they're human beings made in the image and likeness of God. And by the way, this is why hate speech is silly as well, or, or classifying things as hate speech. Because political disagreement is not hate speech. If it were, then certain minority groups would be guilty of hate speech when they disagree with other groups. You see, disagreement with a political agenda does not make someone an enemy. You can disagree with behavior someone advocates and still love them. In fact, parents do that all the time, right? You still love your kids even though you disagree with the behaviors they engage in. In fact, that's what love does. It protects people. It always protects. Anyway, this is Frank Turek. I'm running out of time in this segment. We're back in two minutes with much more. Don't go away. Thank you for listening to the Cross-Examine podcast. This material is made available to you for free by the contributions of listeners like you. If you wish to support future podcasts, just go to crossexamine.org and click on the donate button or simply use the donate feature directly on our app. Thanks. Welcome back to Cross-Examine with 90% of Frank Turek's voice. Our website is crossexamine.org. That's crossexamine with a D on the end of Our app, two words in the app store, Cross-Examine. Download that baby, would you? I mean, over 180,000 people have downloaded it because they're finding it helpful. And uh, it's uh, something that not only has this podcast on it, this radio program put forth by the American Family Radio Network. Thank you, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, but it also has our TV show on there, which airs on Wednesday night. You can watch it streaming live. And it has a quick answer section, with, which will help you interact with uh, other people. Uh, just right off your phone, right off your droid, your, your iPhone. Or if you're one of the nine people in the world with a Windows phone, it works on that too. By the way, I want to thank you for going up to our uh, iTunes page there and putting a positive review on the cross-examined official podcast. Please do that if you would. Uh, many of you have, have done that recently, and it's, I think it's helping getting the podcast to more people. Uh, Asman888 has a nice review. Thank you for that. Uh, Mado Alto, a nice review. Plainly Evident, a nice review. EWest921, another nice review. I don't feel right reading, reading these reviews. They're all very glowing, and I really appreciate them, but I just just feels wrong to me to, to read praises of this podcast on here. Um, I don't know. 
it's like the Proverbs, let somebody else say something nice about you, not yourself. And here I am saying something nice about myself that you have written about, about our podcast and about uh, our ministry. I thank you for it. I just feel bad reading them. I don't know. I just can't do it. So anyway, JP Powers 20 has a nice review as does Silas Mark Osborne. Thank you, ladies and gentlemen, John Feltz, Vinny at SM or at MSU RB Sensei. Thank you so much for all of these positive reviews if you you guys would keep doing that i think it helps i don't know how this works but somehow it does make the podcast somehow more prominent prominent on itunes and other places you can get podcasts so please continue to do that and tell about the podcast to, to friends of yours if you will because we want to get more and more people listening to it all right let me go back to the uh, the second issue we're going to discuss we talked about hate crimes legislation how look all crimes are are hate in some sense uh, there are no love crimes. Now, what, what about the logic behind the transgender movement? Now, I, I, a podcast probably a month and a half or so ago, I dealt with the transgender issue in more detail than I can do so here. We have limited time here today. But I do want to mention a couple of things that have come up recently. Andrew Sullivan, who for many years has been a very prominent proponent of same-sex marriage and gay activism. He's a homosexual man himself. Uh, he's generally conservative otherwise. Anyway, he wrote a uh, a column about two or three weeks ago that you can Google called The Nature of Sex, Andrew Sullivan, The Nature of Sex, which has some uh, very good points in it. Uh, and Martina Navratilova, I don't know if you remember her. She was a brilliant uh, female tennis player a number of years ago, back in the Chris Everett days. Uh, and she's always been uh, out as a lesbian. She has been basically... Uh, disowned by the gay political movement because she's come out and said that men who are trying to transition to become women can't compete in women's sports. It's unfair. They have a biological advantage. Of course, she's right about this, <laughs> but the, the, the transgender activists don't like this. And so they basically booted her out of uh, certain organizations that she was a spokesperson for. And you can read about this online, too. I don't have time to get into all the details, but if you if you Google that, uh, you can check that out as well. And then about a month ago, I watched a panel of feminists discuss the problems with the transgender movement to their own cause at the very conservative Heritage Foundation. Now, our friend Ryan Anderson has written several nice, uh, excellent books on both same-sex marriage and transgenderism. His latest, I think, is called when, when Harry Became Sally. He emceed this panel of feminists, uh, people who identified as transgender, even who used to be identified as transgender. He had a panel of four or five of these people on there who were saying that the T in the LGBTQ movement basically erases the L, the, the G, the B, and the Q. And they were making points like this that, well, let me just go into what I'm going to say about it. And they were basically saying what I'm going to say. Look, the heart of the LGBTQ movement, just like the socialist movement, is a desire for equity. Now, on its face of it, you might say, well, that's good. Equality, equity. The problem is, is that things in reality aren't equal. Things in reality consist of different natures. And no amount of pretending otherwise can change that. A man is not the same as a woman. And if men and women were the same, 
the claims of those advocating transgenderism would be impossible. You say, what do you mean, Frank? Well, look, the T in LGBTQ contradicts the L and the G, who for years have claimed that they were born with these homosexual desires and that their natures were fixed as either lesbian or gay people, that they were born that way. You've heard the argument. It's been it's been out there in, in society for many years now. We're born this way. The problem is the, the T activists, the transgender activists are saying that's not true about human nature. The T activists say there's no gender distinctions and that people can go to bed as a, as a woman and wake up as a man. Gender is just in your imagination. It's not in your biology. All right, let's just stop right there. If there ever was an anti-science statement, that's it right there. That gender is just in your imagination and not in your biology. I mean, if you're going to ignore basic science, if you're going to ignore basic biology, I don't know what else to say. This is why when people come to me and say there's no evidence for God, I ask them two questions. Number one, is why is there evidence for anything? The answer, of course, is because this is a rational universe put together by a rational being, i.e. God. And secondly, is there any evidence for gender? If they say no, I say I can't help you on the God question. If you're not going to recognize the gender that you know you have, how are you going to recognize the attributes of an infinite, invisible being who created and sustains all things? You're not. If you're not going to recognize what's plainly in front of you that you can see with your own eyes, how are you going to recognize something that's invisible? So, of course, there's evidence for gender. The problem is, is that people want to deny that. Here's the real problem. Transgenderism itself presupposes fixed, identifiable natures. Otherwise, how can anyone transition from one gender to another, from, say, a man to a woman? If, if we didn't recognize the difference between men and women, we couldn't recognize the difference between a man who's trying to transgender in or, or, or trans transition into a woman. I mean, Bruce Jenner knew he was a man and he thought he wanted to be a woman. Well, the only way he could know that is if there is a difference between men and women. I can't even believe I have to explain this. I mean, you guys already know this. I mean, it's, it's amazing what, what goes on in our society. The actual suppression of truth that is so obvious it's undeniable. Bruce Jenner couldn't even try to become so-called Caitlyn Jenner unless there was a difference between men and women. So without distinctions between men and women, transgenderism, homosexuality, heterosexuality, bisexuality, and in fact, any sexuality are completely meaningless. They don't exist. <clears throat> there goes my voice again. They don't exist. And this is what this panel of feminists and prior transgender people were saying at the Heritage Foundation. Now, I'm sure if you go to heritage.org, you can probably view this. If you go to youtube.org or .com, you could probably find this. It was a fascinating discussion because they're basically saying, these gay activists were saying, look, if you're going to say there's no gender, then we're out of existence. By the way, that'd be true of heterosexuals too. We'd be out of existence. If there's no distinction between men and women, then homosexuality means nothing. Heterosexuality means nothing. Bisexuality means nothing. Nothing means anything anymore. Gee, we've, we've reached the ultimate in postmodernism, haven't we? Now, we all know that this is just nonsense to say there's no difference between men and women. They're very transgender activists who are advocating for what they're advocating 
are presupposing without recognizing it that there are differences between men and women. Otherwise, you couldn't even know what a trans a transition from one gender to another was. All right. Now, let me let me go back to something I said at the top of this. And that is, I said that the heart of the LGBTQ movement, like the socialist movement, is movement is a desire for equity. It turns out that both of these movements deny reality. They have a false view of human nature. How does socialism have a false view of human nature? They have a false view of the reality of human nature. My friend, Neil Mauman, who wrote a book called um, Jesus Was Involved in Politics about 10 years ago. Great, great little book that covers all the objections to people. So you don't get involved in politics. Anyway, his last name is spelled M-A-M-M-E-N. He's been on this program before. He lives out in San Jose. I'm going to quote him because I think he says it very well. This is a paraphrase of his quote. He says, socialism depends on people working as much as they can and taking as little as they need. Human nature, on the other hand, however, is to work as little as we need and to take as much as we can. You see, this is why socialism is based on a false view of human nature. Because socialism depends on people working as much as they can and taking as little as they need, whereas human nature is to work as little as we need and to take as much as we can. You see this? This is why socialism doesn't work, will never work. It contradicts human nature. Human nature is to be lazy. I mean, human nature is to be dependent. That's one of the problems with government welfare is it tends to make people dependent. Not to say that there's no need for it anywhere. Don't get me wrong. I'm just saying there's a danger with it. And this is the problem. We make people dependent. If you allow people to not work, this is why the AOC, whatever her name is, Alexandria or Caso Castro. I can't remember her name. I'm sorry. I don't have it in front of me. You know, the, the young woman who rose to prominence in the Democratic Party for being a socialist. She's a rookie. <laughs> and she's saying some pretty outlandish things. But she just doesn't understand that socialism can't work because it contradicts human nature. And here's the basic difference between conservatives and leftists. Conservatives want to adjust their behavior to fit reality. Leftists want to adjust reality to fit their behavior. Let me say that again. Conservatives want to adjust their behavior to fit reality, whereas leftists want to adjust reality to fit their behavior. No matter how well intended, trying to adjust reality to fit your behavior is a fool's errand that is going to get a lot of people hurt. So it's impossible to do. You know, you can't change your chromosomes by surgery you can change your mind but you can't change your gender and you can't change human nature by trying to impose a socialistic framework on society and expecting society to be productive it won't be it never has been and it won't be in the future because human nature is what it is all right i'm frank turk going to get to your questions right after the break you're listening to cross-examine with frank turk on the american family radio network back in two College campuses are hostile to the Christian faith, and three out of four young people walk away from the church once they go to college. That's why we go to college campuses and present I Don't Have Enough Faith to Be an Atheist in the United States and even all over the world. When we do this, 
We don't charge students a dime. That's why we need your financial support. In fact, over the past couple of years, we've been able to grow dramatically because of your generous support. And 100% of your donations go to ministry. Zero percent go to building. So when you give to Cross-Examined, you'll be giving to help us go reach young people where they are. Would you consider giving today? Thank you so much, and thank you so much for what you've done already. Sorry, it's Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, not Castro, although it should be Castro. I don't know, maybe I just channeled Castro there when I mentioned the U.S. representative from the 14th District of New York, who, by the way, just partially succeeded in in jipping her city and her district out of $27 billion in tax revenue from Amazon.com, who wanted to put their who wanted to put their uh, their headquarters there. And uh, she, with some other politicians, convinced them not to do so. And she, she just lost $27 billion for her district in tax revenue over the next, I don't know, nine years or so. Uh, she said, well, yeah, we're... We've got $3 billion we're going we're gonna to give to Amazon. That We can't do that. Let's use that money to fix our subways and, and pay teachers more. Well, she doesn't seem to realize that that $3 billion doesn't exist unless Amazon comes. Basically, New York City was giving Amazon a $3 billion tax break in exchange for $27 billion in tax revenue over the next 10 or so years. It's not like there's $3 billion sitting around that they were going to give Amazon, that New York City was going to give Amazon. No, they were just going to basically deduct that from their tax bill. So, you know, when people don't understand basic economics, they make these bonehead moves and they cost their districts billions of dollars. Anyway, enough about this young woman. Let's pray that she learns basic economics and basic reality if she's going to continue to try and govern us. Let me mention that uh, as I get into your questions here, the great Dr. Gary Habermas is again running the resurrection course online. What could be a more important course than the resurrection course? I mean, the most, there's really at the end of the day, only one fact you need to prove to show that Christianity is true. And that's the resurrection. Now I usually prove that, try and show that God exists because it makes the resurrection more plausible. Obviously you're not going to have a resurrection if there's no God. So you give the arguments for God and then you go to the resurrection. If the resurrection is true, Christianity is true, friends. And if you want to take a course from the world's best scholar on this topic, then you got to take the resurrection course with, with, with Gary Habermas. Go to our website, crossexamine.org. Click on online courses. This course begins, I think it's March 10th or 11th. You'll be online at least on three occasions with Gary Habermas himself on Zoom video to ask him questions. So you want to be a part of this course uh, it's got limited seating because we want everybody to have an opportunity to ask questions. And you, you can't do that if the course is too big. So you need to sign up soon. Go to crossexamine.org, click on online courses and take the resurrection course. Coming in April, I'm going to teach a course on the essentials of Christianity. Um, that look, look, uh, look for that coming up soon. Also, you can take courses, uh, self-paced courses that are up there as well, including the resurrection course. Uh, including the reliability of the Gospels, including I don't have enough faith to be an atheist, including stealing from God and some other courses. A Doubting Toward Faith is another course. Bobby Conway teaches that for us. So check all that out on our website, crossexamine.org. Anyway, let me go to some of your questions. You've emailed me at hello at crossexamine.org. Here's a question that comes on objective morality. In your two books of objective morality, 
Yeah, you talk of objective morality I- existing. Um, the questioner says, okay, your arguments may negate atheism. It's less plausible, but it's not positive evidence for theism. What's your positive evidence for that uh, objective morality can be supported by theism? Um, And here's my answer. What we're doing is we're reverse engineering what we know. We are reasoning from effect to cause. We have these moral obligations pressing on us. We know they're not merely instinct. How do we know they're not instinct? Well, C.S. Lewis has this great illustration where he says, Let's say um, you see somebody drowning, or let, 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 let me give a different example than Lewis. It, it might might make a little bit more uh, sense. Um, not that I'm making more sense than Lewis, but it's um, I think an argument that, and maybe he made this. Now that I think about it, uh, it's in mere Christianity. Instead of drowning, let's use somebody. Let's say you're walking in the city and you see somebody being mugged, right? Well, you, you probably have two competing instincts. One instinct is to say, um, I got to go help that person. Another instinct might be, no, I better get away from this because I might get beat up myself. I might get hurt myself, right? In fact, your instinct to get away, to run away, the survival instinct is probably more prominent than your instinct to help somebody. But then there's a third thing that comes in, as Lewis puts it, and it tells you that you ought to obey the weaker so-called instinct, the weaker impulse. And that is the weaker impulse to help somebody. You say, I ought to help that, even though I might, I might more want to run away to protect myself. I'm going to do the right thing and try and help this person. Well, what Lewis points out is that that third thing can't be one of the two instincts. It's something that adjudicates between the two instincts, if they are instincts at all. And that is what we call the moral law or what the apostle Paul would call them the moral law written on our hearts, that moral law, that moral obligation, that moral duty is what we all understand we have. And it seems to me God is the best explanation for those objective, objective moral obligations that we have. I mean, what else is there? We know that materialism doesn't work. In fact, the questioner is admitting this, that materialism can't ground objective moral values and duty. See, the duty part is important. Because it implies you have an obligation to do something. You have an obligation to go help that person being mugged. Well, why do I have an obligation? Who said I have an obligation? Because material things have no moral uh, authority over you. Biology doesn't have any moral authority over you. A mutating genetic code doesn't have any moral authority over you. Your biology doesn't have authority to tell you you ought to do this, you ought to do that. Morality is in the realm of an of, of the immaterial. It's beyond biology. It's a moral obligation. And moral obligations are immaterial. They're not made of biology. The moral law isn't, isn't a biological or chemical molecule. Uh, in fact, sometimes I ask uh, the atheist I debate, how much carbon is in the justice molecule? And they'll say, well, that's a dumb question. Well, it's not a dumb question if you're a materialist, because here you are, a materialist. You think all that exists are materials, and yet you also believe in justice. So explain to me how much, you know, what, what's the molecular composition of the justice molecule? Well, it's, it's, it is a dumb question when you think about it, because you know that justice isn't a material thing. It's an immaterial reality. 
And if it's an immaterial reality, it must be grounded somewhere. It must be in something, so to speak. It's not just floating up there like Plato said. In fact, the two immaterial uh, alternatives we have for morality are Plato's view that there are these forms up there, like justice just exists, love just exists, and we're obligated to somehow align our lives with these forms that exist. And the other view is these are grounded in God's nature. Now, it seems to me Platonism doesn't work. Why? Well, first of all, if these moral realities just exist as forms, why are we obligated to obey them? Why am I obligated to obey justice and not injustice? Why am I obligated to obey love and not hate if if these so-called virtues just exist? Reason, reasonlessly up there, whatever that means. I, I, I don't see why we have any obligation to follow these things. The other problem with the Platonistic view that say justice just exists is how could justice just exist but not be just? You say, what do you mean, Frank? Well, it seems to me that justice has to have a, a quality that actually achieves its end. In other words, justice has to achieve justice. And for justice to achieve justice, justice would have to have a personal quality to it and a knowledge quality to it and a power quality to it. Because in order to do justice, someone has to make all wrongs right, which means someone has to have the knowledge of every wrong that was committed and also the power to correct those wrongs, to bring justice, in other words. And it seems to me only a being like God can do that. How can justice just exist and not be just itself? How can love just exist and not be loving? For that, you would need a person. You would need somebody who could love. So in other, in other words, these attributes, these moral obligations are grounded in, in a being like God. Now, we don't know if it's the Christian God just by this argument. Don't get me wrong. It could be the Christian God. The only way we'd know it's if if it's the Christian God is if we do more research and figure out that Jesus actually rose from the dead, and if Jesus rose from the dead, whatever he teaches is true. Jesus taught that he was the God who created the universe, as did his apostles. So the point here is, is that Platonism doesn't work. Only theism works. Deism doesn't even work. Why? Because deism says that God isn't even morally interested in what we're doing here. Only theism works. So atheism doesn't ground objective moral values or duties. How does, how does nothing have the, have, have an, uh, the authority to tell you what to do? Molecules don't have the authority to tell you what to do. Platonism doesn't work. There's no evidence these things could be up there alone detached from God anyway, and if they are, why do they have moral obligations over us, and they don't even achieve what they're supposed to achieve? They don't achieve justice. They don't achieve love. Only a being like God can actually be justice and do justice. By the way, this is also why the Eastern worldviews, which say that God isn't personal, don't work even by their own doctrines such as karma. They think that, well, if, you're, if you've come back in a good situation in this life, it must be because you did something morally good in your previous life. Well, in order for that to work, A, you'd need a moral standard. 
and pantheists don't have a moral standard. Uh, and B, you'd need a mind like God to figure out who has done good and bad, and then to put them in the proper place in the next life. In other words, you need a being like a theistic God in order to carry out a pantheistic worldview like Hinduism or Buddhism. So my evidence for objective morality is A, you know it exists already, and even atheists admit they exist, these objective moral values and duties. In fact, it was atheist Louise Anthony admitted in her debate with William Lane Craig, she said this, here's a quote. She's an atheist now, but she's admitting the problem with her view. She says this, any argument for moral skepticism, in other words, any argument that says there are no objective moral values, will be based upon premises which are less obvious than the existence of objective moral values themselves. Unquote. Yes, she's absolutely right. You try, you try and make any argument for atheism, that's, be, that's built on weaker premises than the intuitive knowledge you already have that say it's wrong to torture babies for fun or it's wrong to murder, murder six million people in a holocaust. You already know that. Objective moral rights are self-evident. Atheism is not. And this is what this atheist is admitting. All right, I'm Frank Turek. We're back in just two minutes. If you find value in the content of this podcast, don't forget to follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, where you can find more. Just type cross-examine or Frank Turek on the search bar. Also, visit our website where we add new videos, articles, and free resources daily. C-I-A, the Cross-Examine Instructor Academy. This is going to be our 12th year, I believe. We're running CIA. That's where we teach you how to present the evidence for Christianity and how to answer the toughest questions you'll get. We uh, normally run anywhere between, well, we started back in 2008 with about 30 people. We maxed out at about 70. We can't get it any bigger than that because not only when you come to CIA to you or do we present to you, you present to us. And uh, CIA this year is going to be, ladies and gentlemen, drum roll please, in the Big Apple. At the biggest church in the Northeast, actually, uh, my friend Jamal Bernard is going to be our host. He is one of the pastors at this church. It's the Christian Cultural Center in Brooklyn, New York. So we're going to the Big Apple. Forget about it. You want to be a part of it. It's August 8th to 10th. Uh, we'll have the normal group of instructors uh, with a couple of additions, actually. Uh, myself, Greg Kokel is always there. Brett Kunkel's always there. Uh, Jorge Gill, Richard Howe, um, Bobby Conway. Jay Warner Wallace might be there. Not sure this year. He's got some other conflicts, but we're going to have uh, Elisa Childers. She'll be uh, one of the instructors as well. She's got a great ministry that deals much with progressive Christianity, liberal Christianity. And for the first time ever, we're going to have the great David Wood. You say, who is David Wood? If you don't know who David Wood is, you need to know who David Wood is. David is the man that led Nabil Qureshi to Christ. David is a fearless defender of Christianity and predominantly deals with Islam. And uh, I think Act 17 is his ministry. If you Google him or go to YouTube, you'll find his videos, which are always piercing and entertaining at the same time. 
David, for those of you who don't know, spent time in prison. He grew up as an atheist and a nihilist, and he tried to murder his father with a hammer. And he'll tell you all this. I'm telling it to you. He went to prison and became a Christian in prison. You need to watch his, um, his testimony, which he filmed in one take on the New York subways. It's about 35 minutes long. It's him walking through the subway explaining his testimony. And uh, just go to YouTube and Google David Wood testimony. You'll see it. Anyway, he's one of our instructors, an amazing guy. So we've got a complete cast of instructors to help you not only present the evidence for Christianity better, but to answer the toughest questions you'll get. It's really more about presentation skills than anything else. But you've got to apply soon. Go to crossexamine.org, click on events. You'll see CIA there. In fact, the banner will pop up. We take a limited group of people, probably no more than 60 this year. Uh, and it's a very intimate group. You, you, we hang out together. You, we, we eat meals together. We interact together. Uh, all these instructors are there to help you improve your ability to present apologetics. The Cross-Examine Instructor Academy, Brooklyn, New York, August 8th to 10th, 2019. It's not cheap. It costs money to do this. But we always get a lot of people to attend because it's so worth it. And by, by the way, we don't make any money on it. It's, we just cover our costs, but it costs a lot to do this. Uh, but check it out. Go to crossexamine.org and click on events if you want to be a part of it. And uh, I hope you do if you're interested at all in presenting this. We need people all over the world to present this. And we've had people from all over the world come to it. Again, CIA. All right, let me go back to some of your questions. You're listening to Cross Examine with Frank Turek on the American Family Radio Network. I had a question that you sent me via hello at crossexamine.org. Is baptism necessary for salvation? And most people will point to Acts 2.36 to, to 2.39 or so. It's a speech by Peter to the people that crucified Jesus. And here's what he said. He's talking to these people. He says, therefore, let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. When the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the other apostles, brothers, what shall we do? And Peter replied, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit, the promises for you and all your children, for all who care or fall off. Or, and for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. So repent, be baptized for the forgiveness of your sins. Do this. And so many people think that this assumes that water baptism is essential for salvation. And there are denominations out there. For example, the Church of Christ believes that water baptism is necessary. Now, let me start out by saying right here, this is not an essential of the faith, at least in my view. If someone believes water baptism, water baptism is necessary, I don't, and I'll explain you why. I don't, I'm not going to divide with them over it. This is not, in my view, an essential. They may think it's an essential, but I don't think it is. I think people should get water baptized, but if you're not water baptized for whatever reason, it doesn't mean necessarily that you're not saved. You say, what do you do with this passage then? A couple of things we need to remember. Well, before we look at this passage again, let me give you an easy way of showing why water baptism is not necessary for salvation. Now I could go to the thief at the cross because he wasn't water baptized, but he was saved. You all know that. And of course the people who are saying that water baptism is necessary will say, well, Jesus made an exception. Okay. Well, first of all, I don't think it's an exception, but you don't even need that to show that water baptism is not essential for salvation. Why? Because if you go to first Corinthians chapter one, 
verses 13 to 17. Paul, in this context, is dealing with people who are divided. They're following people rather than Christ. You know, some are following Paul, other may be a following Apollos or something. And here's what Paul says, beginning in verse 13 in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. He says this, is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Were you baptized in the name of Paul? I am thankful that I did not baptize any of you except Crispus and Gaius. So no one can say that you were baptized in my name. Yes, I also baptized the household of, of Stephanus. Beyond that, I don't remember if I baptized anyone else. For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel. Not with words of human wisdom, lest, lest the cross of Christ be emptied of his power. For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel. Okay. He's bifurcating baptism in the gospel, which means if the gospel saves, baptism isn't part of it. Did you notice that? Now, how do you know How do you know the gospel saves? Well, everyone, we know generally <laughs> that's what it is. The gospel saves. At least that's part of it. But go to Romans chapter one. Look, we were just in first Corinthians chapter one. Now let's go to Romans chapter one. Here's what Paul says at the end of Romans uh, the, his introduction to Romans, this is verses 16 to 17. He says, I am not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes. We don't need to go any further. The gospel is the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes. So the gospel saves. In other words, in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, Paul says that, I didn't come to baptize, I came to preach the gospel. And in Romans 1, he says the gospel saves. So if baptism is not part of the gospel and the gospel saves, then baptism, water baptism, isn't necessary to get you saved. Now, it certainly is a step of obedience. You might ask yourself, well, then why would Peter say that in Acts chapter 1? Well, it could be. There's a couple of reasons, by the way, that it could be why he put it that way. Number one is he's speaking to the same people who did crucify Christ. And secondly, he would know excuse me, he would know that no Jew would get water baptized in the name of Christ unless they truly did become a Christian. Uh, so he's speaking to the very people who, who, who baptized, or I should say who crucified Christ. So he's saying, look, repent and be baptized because you need the forgiveness of Christ. So baptism in those days normally immediately followed repentance immediately followed salvation. And it would be a public sign that they truly were a Christian. It's also been put this way. And if you read a commentary on this, it'll say in the Greek, it's a, t it's a technical argument in the Greek, which says there's ample evidence in the New Testament that the word in Greek um, that says for the forgiveness of your sins could be translated on the ground of, or on the basis of, the forgiveness of your sins. In other words, you're being baptized because you've been saved, not in order to be saved. So there's a, there's a translation issue here. It could be that. And by the way, we also know that if you just go a couple of chapters later in Acts, where Peter speaks again, he doesn't say anything about baptism. In Acts chapter 3, he says, repent 
And then repent then and turn to God so that your sins may be wiped out. This is Acts 3.17. So you don't build an entire doctrine on one verse. You look at all the verses together and you try and discover what the truth is. And another thing you have to be aware of when you're reading Acts, most of the time you're reading a description, not a prescription. Acts is a history book. It's not like an epistle that's giving you doctrine that you have to obey. Now, sometimes when speeches are being made, okay, they are giving doctrine. And here is a speech being made. So you might say it is doctrine, but you have to be careful in Acts. Not everything described is necessarily prescribed. Okay. So no, I don't think water baptism is necessary for salvation. I think it's something, it's an act of obedience that demonstrates to everybody you are saved, but it's not necessary for you to be saved. So you should get water baptized, but look, if, you, if you're saved and you don't get water baptized, you're still saved. You're still justified. You may not be completely sanctified because you haven't continued the process of becoming more like Christ, but you are justified. Someone also asked the question, is the Sabbath necessary for Christians? I don't have time to get into an in-depth answer, but the answer is no. Just read Colossians chapter 2. Paul says, don't let anyone tell you you have to obey any Sabbath or festival day. Why? Because the Sabbath represented rest and Jesus is our rest. The rest has arrived. The apostles didn't even obey the Sabbath anymore because they started worshiping on Sunday because Jesus rose on Sunday. They knew that the Sabbath had arrived. Jesus is the Sabbath. Now, there's more that could be said. I don't have time to get all the details, but no. The Sabbath is not something that is obligated or is an obligation for Christians. All right, if you have any other questions, and I try and get to as many as I can, friends, send them to hello at crossexamine.org, hello at crossexamine.org. And don't forget, this coming Thursday, I'll be at Edison State Community College in Piqua, Ohio. Check our website for more. It will be streamed as well. And I'll see you here next week. God bless. We hope you got a lot of value out of this episode. If you think our podcast needs to reach more people, here's what you can do to help. Go to iTunes and type cross-examined official podcast, four words in the search bar, and leave us a five-star rating. It'll take you less than five seconds. And if you have a few more seconds to spare, leave us a positive review. The best reviews will be featured on future episodes. You can also listen on Spotify, Stitcher, and Google Play. God bless.